Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag NBA. They've talked to us about on one of our GM calls how it might be a condensed schedule next year, more so than in the past. As you know, there's been a there's been a big drive to avoid back-to-backs and certainly four and five nights, but we might find ourselves in a situation next year where, where it's going to be much more condensed. That's the Atlanta Hawks general manager, Travis Schlenk, talking about the condensed schedule because they want to get all 82 games in, but they've got to start late because the playoffs could go until October 12th. So if you turn around and start December 1, apparently they want to finish before the Olympics. They don't want to move the draft too much. So there you go, PK. Get ready for four games and five nights and a condensed schedule. Still has to be collectively bargained, but sounds like they're partway down that road already. Yeah, fine with me. Whatever schedule that they want to play, I don't care. I'll be in. If they want to move it to Christmas to August or if they want to move it up to September to end of May, I really don't care. I'm going to be watching no matter what. Whatever they want to do is fine with me. Because we love our basketball, and if it's on, we're going to be watching it. Yeah, absolutely. That's well said. It's too bad because I do think getting away from four games in five nights was a good idea, and hopefully this is just a one-off, unusual circumstances, because I do think that improves the product. I think the the teams, by the time you get to that fourth game in five nights, you're not as good. But that may be that may be the deal in the short run. And we already see so many players sitting out as it is, so they're going to sit out even more. Yes. Really, as far as the product goes, uh, I'm not not exclusively, and this is extreme, but I almost view the regular season as just passing time until we get to the playoffs. Now, it's not that entirely. It's not that entirely by any stretch. But if they're going to have that stuff, as long as the playoffs are the same and everybody's ready to go in the postseason, and that's where, to me, uh, i got to have that. So if I've got to make sacrifices, I don't want them at the expense of the playoffs. I want them at the expense of the regular season. Golden State Warriors coach Steve Kerr said he hopes NBA will let the eight teams that did not get sent to Disney World for the bubble Hopes they get a mini camp in advance of training camp. And Kerr says if that happens, he says Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green will all be able to participate. And we don't need to get ahead of ourselves because we're going to finish this season. But think, think how good the West was this year and then think the Warriors will be back. Instead of being 15, will they be... I don't know where they'll match up, you know, one, two, you know, the, the Lakers, the Clippers, but it's hard to imagine if those guys come back that they won't be a top four team in the West. With the top five draft pick in tow. The West, more stacked than ever. Was well, it more stacked than ever? I'd have to debate that. I'd have to look at that. It may be better than it was this past season, but more stacked than ever? I'd have to research that before I sign off on that. Well, we're going to have time to research that, so we'll go ahead and do that later on. Uh, the uh, You can. <laughs> we'll get Locke to do it. He'll report to us. 
Longtime NBA player Brian Shaw has been named the coach of the new G League team. It's going to feature the NBA drafts prospects Jalen Green, Isaiah Todd. They're going to debut that in the 2020-21 season. This just feels like a stopgap. While they're negotiating all this stuff, negotiate the return of the draft to 18, and let's get on with it. That's where we're going. We all know we're going there. Let's hurry up and go there. 18? Why not go 17, 16, 15? 18 years old, you're an adult, you're done with high school, and I don't know how many guys at 17 would be ready to play in the NBA anyway. So, 18. (laughs) But at 18, they are. All right. (laughs) DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. I still don't think they've gotten it right. Until they apologize specifically to Colin Kaepernick uh, or sign him to a team, I, I don't think that they will end up uh, on the right side of history. Uh, at the end of the day, they have listened to their players. They've donated money. They've created an Inspire Change platform. They've tried to do things up until this point. Uh, it's been one player in particular that they have not or that they've ignored and have not acknowledged, and that's Colin Kaepernick. That's Malcolm Jenkins, the New Orleans Saints safety saying the efforts have uh, fallen short for all the things they've done right. They've still left one out. And this is just, for, for me sitting here, this looks uh, symbolic, PK, because, and, and probably, uh, you know, people don't like to admit they're wrong. I mean, that's not like the most fun thing we get to do as people. But it's important to some of the players, and it's it, I think it's probably important to Kaepernick, although we haven't heard him say it. And Goodell already went down this road with the apology on Friday that surprised us. If you go further, what's the harm to the NFL? And if they don't go further, I still think the NFL is going to be this... I mean, they've made mistakes before, they'll make mistakes again. They're still going to be this wildly popular sport... So I don't want to say it's on, on one level it's not important because the NFL is going to be what the NFL is going to be. On another level, human relationships, if you make a mistake, apologizing, all that stuff is important. Why not just do it? I mean, it. I, do what? Well, when Goodell said he was sorry, we knew what he was talking about. And why not just name Kaepernick? Also, to the players, they know it's Kaepernick and that's what he's apologizing for. Does he have to name it? Uh, yeah, a lot of people would say that apology was political. What, yeah. what was he really sorry for? Yeah. And if he said Colin's name now, wouldn't that the same thing hold? I mean, yeah, those be who believe it yeah. are going to believe it. And those who don't are not. And yeah. I don't know how... It doesn't matter how wildly popular they are. It's how much money did you lose because of that situation last year. There was a lot of folks who were turned off by it. And I thought revenues were down in the 19 to 20% range, or was it the year before? So wildly popular, that's a relative term. If you make X amount of money, well, the next year you're expected to make X amount of more money. And if you don't, doesn't matter how wildly popular you are, you're losing money. And nobody wants that. No, yeah, you're not not making as much as you could have. New New Atlanta Falcons running back Todd Gurley. Passed his physical, signed a one-year, $5.5 million deal with the franchise uh, more than two months ago. So the deal's not new. The fact he passed his physical, obviously, he was dynamic. The Rams were great. They are in the NFC title game. They got a great call against the Saints, great no call. Got to the Super Bowl and lost it. But then he wasn't the same last year. 
They were a 500-ish team, and now he's moving on. It's how quickly things change. And the question is, he passed the physical. Is he really going to be able to do it week after week? Is he going to do it occasionally? Is he just going to be a shell of his former self? He's getting paid like he's going to be a shell of his former self. I mean, he was so dominant two years ago when he was healthy. Yeah, you never know about those running backs, man. They seem to come and go so quickly sometimes. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. It's not a racist football program. I think when you look at racism as a whole, you know, as a country, that's what it was founded on. And so the fact that it came out in this manner in this time was the worst time that a conversation of peace like this could have happened. That's former Clemson star Taj Boyd saying the Clemson Tigers program isn't racist. Uh, we've had other ex-players, uh, DeAndre Hopkins most notably, uh, saying that he doesn't even want to, when, when they introduce the players at the start of a broadcast, he doesn't even want to say he's from Clemson because he doesn't like what's been going on there. So I guess you'd have to be in the program and know how you were being treated, but different players saying different things about Clemson right now. Okay. After 10 years, former USC star running back Reggie Bush's disassociation from the university is expected to come to an end, according to multiple reports. Timing comes as a result of an NCAA Committee on Infractions rule adopted in 2017 that limits any mandated disassociation between an individual and the school to 10 years. That started for him on June 10, 2010. Here we are on June 10, 2020. So he can go stand on the sideline and donate money if he wants. I guess he could get hired as a coach if he wanted. I don't know that he wants that. So he can he can go back to SC and be around. Great. What else would you do? What else is this going to let him do? Or is it just symbolic? I think it's largely symbolic. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, when the Utes played there, he was on the sideline because he was on the broadcast, right. if you recall. So there was that connection. To, to, to me, he was never not a member of the Trojans. I mean, he was a phenomenal player. I don't know that he lived up to it at the at the pro level, but when you were that good, that's almost impossible to live up to at the pro level. He was pretty good as a pro, but he was just sensational. I mean, he was so electrifying uh, when he was playing there in college. So, yeah, I think that that's probably a little more symbolic. I don't know what type of relationship he wants to have. Uh, maybe... I would think you'd want some, though. I mean, that's where you played, and that's that's your school. You know, you, when you're in the pros, there's very few players can say that's my team because they move around a lot. Well, most of them, and some of them obviously move around in college too, but most of them just have that. One, particularly if you're a great player, there's no need to transfer because a lot of the times the transferring is a result of a lack of playing time. Well, if you're really, really that good, obviously you're going to get that playing time. So what is he, you know, as far as an NFL guy? Because he played for multiple teams, right? He just didn't play for the Saints the whole time, right? Or no, he, he did move that? around, but I do yeah. think of him as a Saint. But, right. you know, we all, of his career. we always talk about you go where you had your most success, where you're the most beloved. Well, <laughs> that's L.A. That's USC. That's, you know, so he does get to do that. Uh, you know, he grew up in San Diego, so I, I don't know if you want to. You got the money to live anywhere after playing in the NFL. You're doing the broadcasting thing kind of ties you to the games in the L.A. studio. Well, yeah, they're in Southern California yeah. doing that pregame show. Yeah, you go where you had your most success. That's why at my heart, I will always be a St. Peter the Apostle Panther. <laughs> Jersey, baby. 
Storage. Penn State's using technology to move forward in recruiting, creating virtual combines for football prospects. The Nittany Lions have virtual combines to evaluate the current class as well as some underclassmen. And they're going to have uh, give recruits an opportunity to get themselves in front of coaches. They've got a website, a Twitter account, guiding prospects on the process. The normal thing to do in the olden times was you go to a camp at the school and be in front of the coaches and, and be seen and interact with them there. So the, the Nittany Lions have set all of this up, see if they can get an edge in this next recruiting class. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea, but I think a large portion of it is the film that you're doing in the high school games anyway. So this seems like an adjunct to it. I don't know that it's going to supersede the actual games. You know, in a lot of these sports, particularly in basketball and baseball, it's these tournaments away from the high school season that you go. I've been to a number in basketball and baseball. I've been to these, and there's all sorts of scouts there where if you go to a high school game, because it's during their season, there's not that many. Well, in football, it, it isn't as quite as influenced in the offseason. Certainly those camps are a big deal, but a lot of it is what you have in the season, and you have this film, and you send the film on, and so that has become a production. You know, It's a first-class production to create a player XYZ's film that they send on to the college. So I think this will augment it, as opposed to being the primary. You know, I think the difference with football, baseball, and basketball is just what you said right there. You know, when you have to evaluate players on the high school games, the level of competition can vary so wildly. Whereas when they get them in these basketball tournaments, um, in these uh, baseball tournaments, you know, the uh, are the area code games still a big deal? For a long time, they were a big deal. And it would get the best players together so you could see the college-level athletes against each other as 15, 16, 17-year-olds as opposed to seeing a college-level athlete beat up on somebody in a game who's never going to be a college-level athlete. They're just not. Right. And I think that's why we see some of the misses we see in football and we rely on the star system a little more in basketball, but it's judged because you've already seen these kids against other college-level kids. So, Alright, DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. You know, they have by far the best deal of any players in any sport. And, you know, that's why you see the other sports uh, coming back pretty quickly because they're they're aligned with the players. They've got, you know, the more the revenue, the, the more the players get, you know, based on a, on a formula. Uh, we don't have that in baseball. Uh, the players have always fought for whatever they can get in a negoti- individual negotiations, and it's been to their benefit. That's Cardinals owner Bill DeWitt Jr. on Major League Baseball players being in the best position in sports. Negotiating in the public, putting a little pressure on the players there. You got a great deal. The industry isn't very profitable, to be honest, he said. No line of people waiting to get in it, but it isn't profitable. I can hear players shrugging already. Can you hear someone shrug? Uh, I get your point. Uh, Yeah, I I just don't get into this, man. I'm a baseball fan. I'm not a labor fan. So those guys can haggle back and forth, and I'm going to not let that and ruin my enjoyment of the game and the game that I love is not just reduced to or limited to Major League Baseball by any stretch so I'm just not going to get involved because 
I didn't grow up when I was eight, nine, ten years old playing the game, roaming the fields that I played in, my little league field. And every time I go back to my hometown, I drive by the field, walk around it because it meant something special to me. It was sacred ground, and labor had nothing to do with it. So. <laughs> I remember as an 11-year-old going over to the concession stand and getting some candy, and then we went up and had a players-only meeting. Oh. Decided how much more candy we were going to demand before the All-Star game started. Who, who did that? And I think of all the sports, I think baseball has a romantic romanticism in our lives as young boys, whatever it might be, playing catch with your father and all that stuff, and it's the renewal of spring in so many areas of the country and so that has a special place you know baseball ray in the field of dreams you build it they'll come so i'm not going to let these ding dongs rule it ruin it for me uh major league baseball players association made a proposal so they're still talking i thought the interesting thing there was and this would get some more money for the owners and i think it's something that they've got to pursue uh, it was an 89-game season, but it was an expanded 16-team playoff. And the players' salaries are based on regular season games. The postseason money would presumably help the owners recoup some of their losses. And 16 teams. We, we, we had the eight teams forever. They added the two, the two more wild cards and went to 10, which I think was a good idea. And going to 16 for a year, hey, maybe the Padres could make it, huh, PK? What odds would you give the Diamondbacks are getting in. A uh, sixteen? Would they? How would they do that, though? I mean, what, I when you're jumping from ten to sixteen to just the next best records. That what that what I didn't. Yeah, I would assume it's the next best records. Although they didn't announce that. And what I was curious about that I haven't been able to find. And if somebody's seen something out there, they can hit us up on uh, Twitter, David DJ James. Uh, you know, would they be three of five series? Would they be two of three? I I, I think they'd go three of five because I don't think you'd want. Um, you you know as a as a one two three four seed you you want to be knocked out by some five hundred team in a three or five series because they got one good pitcher and he plays well twice and they they steal one other game and they knock you out. Uh, I assume three or five, not two or three, but I don't know. I don't know what they do. More games would be more revenue for the owners. You know, there'd be more games on TV and the networks would pay more for them. I would think so. Yeah, that's probably the common ground there. Is the uh, all right? We're gonna we're gonna expand the playoffs, and that's where you're gonna make up your money. All right, what is trending? Is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. Receive a free reverse osmosis system with the purchase of any water softener at Shamrock Plumbing. 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. All right, coming up today. Are you ready for a little golf? The PGA Tour returns tomorrow. Brian Taylor, Real Golf Radio, will be here at eight thirty. Ross Dellinger, national college football writer for Sports Illustrated, will talk football with us coming up at 9.30 this morning. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 12.80 The Zone. Let's go! The Big Show. It's a big deal! With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. He's a contributor of Yahoo Sports and Real GM. He's our friend Keith Smith. The Jazz success, of course, is going to rest on the shoulders of Donovan and Rudy. That was going to happen anyway, but it seems to me with no Bogdanovich, Mike Conley is in a position to pick up a lot of that slack from a production standpoint. What do you think? I think you're spot on with that. I think you're going to need him and Joe Ingles to step up and do a lot of playmaking as well as scoring off the dribble. That was the big thing with adding Conley and Bogdanovich. It looks like right before the 
pause. Maybe he was starting to finally figure some things out. I know he had been dealing with some health issues this year, and hopefully, you know, he's got that ready to go. But Conley's going to have to step up. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Hot Takes and Toast is brought to you by Master Electrical Services. Master Electrical is always open during this challenging time. Call Master Electrical at 801-543-2222 for upfront pricing, and your satisfaction is guaranteed. Master Electrical will light up your day. All right, question of the morning. It's up on our Facebook page, Athlon Sports. Ranks Kyle Whittingham as the number one coach in the Conference of Champions. How do you rank them? Who's the big dog? James posts something that I think uh, a lot of people believe and are yelling in their cars right now. Can't really vote somebody who has no championships as the best coach in the conference. Not true. Jeff says Helton takes a lot of heat, but even he's been able to win a conference title in a Rose Bowl. That is true, but does that make him the best coach in the conference? I think there's one reason why well, a lot could, of people... It could, but I don't... Right, exactly. It could, but there's one reason a lot of people... Well, maybe there's more than one reason, but there's certainly one reason a lot of people would say Clay Helton is not the best coach in the conference. And Roy says, hey, it's hard to argue with that. Kyle's number one. Actually, I think it's easy to argue with that. Now, after the argument, you may settle on Kyle as number one. I think that's really what it comes down to is, if you just do this in the abstract, what makes a coach the best coach in a conference? You know, and you draw up a list of stuff, you know, winning consistently, peaking with, you know, conference titles, trips to the playoffs and all that. The Pac-12 is in a weird spot right now where they don't have a coach who would fit the mold that most of us would agree on. And it's a combination of... People who are the best coach, we always talk about this with the NBA Coach of the Year. When he's the best coach, you know, sometimes it's, and a lot of times actually, it can be about overachieving expectations. Or it can be about winning really consistently and dominating. But I think people look at USC and Oregon and think, you've got major advantages. So if you win there, well, you're supposed to. Now, if you keep winning and you keep winning, eventually people just give in. But the Pac-12 is in a situation where there's been a lot of turnover. So who's, you know, won a lot and sustained it? I I think the guy who was the best coach, this is open for interpretation right now because he just stepped away and abdicated the throne. I think if we'd been discussing this a year ago, Chris Peterson at Washington would have been the guy. But he stepped away. I think before him, it was Shaw at Stanford. But it's hard to say he's the best coach in the conference because – Three years ago, you could say that. But he had, what, I think five out of six years, he'd had double-digit wins. And now they haven't had a double-digit win season in three years. And he's lost 17 games over three years. So it's hard to say Shaw right now. So you start going through that, and Kyle overachieves what people expect out of Utah. And they've won consistently, and they keep improving Talk about how you know, every three-year cycle they're better than they were in the previous three years. And there isn't anyone who fits the ideal, you know, this is when you, you know, it, you got Saban's resume. You can just say, he, well, he's the best coach in the SEC, right? 
uh, Riley hasn't been at o- Lincoln Riley hasn't been in Oklahoma that long, but they've won so much you can you can probably just go ahead and say that even though they've got built-in advantages the way Oregon and USC do. Um, you know, at USC Clay Helton is expected to win consistently and going 13 and 12 over two years. They're not going to pick him. Cristobal could be the easy choice in a couple years. He's been there two years. He's gotten the program better. But at two years, I can see why people aren't giving it to him yet. And what is it? who does that leave you with? That's Kyle, because you look at everybody else. Everybody else is brand new, or they've lost a lot, or maybe a combination of both. Well, that's a weak endorsement. You went through everybody else. No, no, no. Yeah. And then just pick this guy then. Well, he hasn't won a conference title. If you're the best coach in a conference, at some point, you would win the conference title. If he did that, it'd be a slam dunk. So I, I get why you say it's a weak endorsement. He doesn't have the ideal resume for saying he's number one. But I think if you go around the conference, okay, he's number one. And is he going to sustain it? Is Cristobal going to pass him in a year or two? I mean, that Oregon's supposed to be loaded this year, so they're supposed to win, and that'll help him. But if you mess up a loaded team, you know, you're putting yourself over here in Clay Helton territory. And then it's still Kyle. But that's why this is a great topic, because oh, it's debatable. You don't find the fact that they haven't won a conference championship so at least you. something? Yes, I do. But I don't think it's the coach's job to win a conference title. I think it's the player's job. You can't tell me two years ago when those receivers were dropping all those passes that it was the head coach's fault against Washington. I I just don't buy it. Well, I think the reason – I think that argument uh, to me carries some weight, but it carries more weight in the pros. Because the coach doesn't pick the players. But in college, where you're the CEO, you're the GM, you're the coach at the same time, that, that does fall more on the, on the coaches at the college level. Because they pick the receivers. Once you've been there long and So you, you knew, okay, and he knew, okay, when we get in the Pac-12 title game, these guys are going to drop passes, but yet I'm still going to take them. I don't buy it. They didn't make plays. That wasn't on the coach. The coach just put them in the position to win. I mean, that that just doesn't sit well. And he was doing it with backups, uh, quarterback and running back. And those receivers were dropping passes. And just uh, one guy dropped a, a pass that led to the touchdown for Washington. And then he goes up to Utah State and dominates. Uh, I don't see it, man. I don't see where that that's on the coaches. Players got to make plays. They do. Uh, there's no question about that. But it's up to the coaches to recruit better receivers. And when they do and they win, they get credit for that. So you, I just don't think you can cut out the talent evaluation and talent. I know acquisition sounds bad for student athletes, but it's kind of what it is. Uh, you're sending all these guys to the pros, so they have done a phenomenal job of talent evaluation. And I can argue that nobody in the conference has done a better job than talent evaluation. That actually strengthens my argument. That doesn't weaken it. Well, in all the other positions, you're right, it does. And I think that is why he ends up number one. 
I think you just want me to put him number one with the what is the the top forty countdown thing? Number one, number one with a bullet. Is that the thing? There's some expression. I can't. I don't remember. know. Yeah, I can't remember. I do think what what you're saying though, and I agree with you, is that this list is fluid because there's not an established, overwhelming choice. And so what it is today, this season, could change next year, next season. And that, I agree with you 100%, because this conference has a fair amount of turnover in coaches, or has had, certainly, and I actually think continues to have, because there's a bunch of programs in this conference that can be decent, but they can't really be consistently great. And because they're decent... That's going to lead to turnover because you're going to get an AD in there thinking, oh, if we just get this guy, that guy, whoever this person is, they can get us over the top. You look at the Sun Devils. I told you to follow that Pac-12 sports, and they have, you know, number uh, the best uh, one through 12 in sacks over the last eight years or five years, whatever it is, and number one, the the list of interceptions and the devils almost routinely almost every single poll are sitting right there anywhere from five to seven they're always in the middle (laughs) (laughs) they're never at the bottom but they're never at the top they're always in the middle and so let's get this guy so let's fire this dude and bring in somebody else and the reality is since kush was there I can count on it. Every five years, they're going to have a new coach. Now, you had a couple of them going back in Daryl Rogers and John Cooper who left for other jobs. But everybody else since 1987, when Cooper, he went to a Rose Bowl and a Holiday Bowl, and then he gets to Ohio State job, right? Every single coach since then has been fired. And so that's what you have in this conference. A few of them leave for other jobs, but the overwhelming majority of them are going to get fired. And see, I think that that is one of the arguments for making Kyle number one, despite the fact he hasn't won the conference championship, is that if you're sitting in the AD chair, especially if you're brand new to the AD chair and you don't bear any responsibility for what came before, and you're looking around like, you can just hear the discussion. Right. With a key booster, uh, the president, another, you know, uh, assistant athletic director, maybe with a football coach when you're calling them on the carpet. Listen, I know SC's got advantages. I know Oregon's got all the Nike money. But why can't you do what Utah's got? Where's their overwhelming advantage? Look at how they've built it up. You don't have to win at all, but win more than you lose. Get in the top half. Win the division. If the other guy stumbles, be good enough to grab that. It's like Utah doesn't have any obvious, overwhelming advantages, but why are they cranking out nine wins all the time? Because you look at some of the other programs, and they're not coming anywhere near that. And that can lead to part of the turnover. Like, we, I get that we, whether you're Arizona, Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, Colorado, whoever, ASU, you know, going down the list, you know, we, I, we can't match what Oregon and SC are doing, but, man, we ought to be better than Utah. We ought to at least be equal to Utah. What are we doing here? You can't tell me that isn't one yeah, of the reasons they had the turnover at Colorado. Why? Because of the uh, facility. I would say Utah ha- we, we think Utah they have advantages. advantages. And you think the rest of the league knows that now? They've seen it? That conversation you had about the, uh, 
the Utah and the fan interest? I think the players know it. I don't care what Joe Blow fan thinks. It's what the players think. And they have a lot of advantages that other teams in the South don't have. There's, in my mind, they do. I've been to these places. The passion in our market is far, far stronger than it is any place else except for SC in the South. And it's, and the old thing of it's not even close. Now, Tucson's a basketball school. They got very little talent, and people don't understand. Jake Scott, I know you're listening, and he would say a thousand times, I don't understand why ASU can't be. You're right. You don't understand (laughs) because you haven't lived down there. And it's 110 in the end of May, and the kids want out. They just want out. They leave by the droves. And the shadow (laughs) of an NFL team is also a big factor. I think all the teams of the Pac-12 that play. Yes, and you're way down the the totem pole. Terms of interest, you come to our market, it's a big, big deal. It's not a big, big deal in Boulder and in Denver. Not at all. Right. Not, a, not even close. Well, the place it is a big and deal so, is, is Oregon, and look how far away they are from the Seahawks. It's got to be, what, at least three, probably four-hour drive. Correct. Exactly. It is a four-hour drive. Yes. And, and obviously they've got the money that was just infused in their program to outrageous numbers. And they've taken advantage of it. And, yeah, Oregon has just gotten, like, the top three kids at Arizona. I mean, here we go again. And it's just <laughs> – it's it's annual, man. It's just annual. And the, I think we had Antonio Pierce on, the recruiting coordinator and associate head coach. They won't say it, but I think they've basically given up on recruiting in-state. And get out of state because these kids don't realize how hot it is all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and so they come in, and they're, they're, most of their recruiting now is they're getting premier prospects from out of state. Because the in-state kids, it's, it's just a distinct disadvantage, plus the interest isn't there. In Salt Lake, I mean, we, we have some winter weather. Yeah, I get it. But we also have some just phenomenal weather. I mean, yesterday couldn't have been a more beautiful day after the storms. <laughs> just gorgeous. I mean, it's just top of the line, man. You're not you're not going to find very many places that were prettier in the U.S. than what we had yesterday. Yeah, and you watch just because I have my men. I got my men's league on Tuesday, man. It's just spectacular, and and people really really care. And so those are advantages. And to Kyle Whittingham's credit, he's cashed in. On these advantages. Now we'll see what this this I can call it a scandal that they have going on right now. Somehow issue? scandal seems issues a nice word. Yeah, I like that word better than scandal. We'll see. Maybe it develops into a scandal, but right now it's certainly an issue, and we'll see how it happens there. But I think that the going back to your point is that we're we're discussing this today. Next year it could very well change if, if Helton runs through or Cristobal runs through, well, then, yeah, you put them on top because they will have won multiple titles in that case, and that does count for something. It doesn't mean if you don't have one because I believe Jerry Sloan was one of the best coaches of all time, and he didn't have one, but I don't think ultimately 
it's his job to get the job done out on the field. I can't say that they lost these last two Pac-12 title games because of coaching. I think that Cristobal, uh, who's 21-6 and six in two years on the job and already has uh, one trip to the Rose Bowl, he's got one, one conference title, you know, if it's in his third year, he has a second conference title. I think, you know, the fluid list, looking at how it can move, that's one way. If Kyle were to get a title this year, nobody in the South has gone to three straight title games. So I think going there would be a big deal a third time. I think winning it would be a big deal. So he's on top in a close horse race right now where no one has the ideal resume. But if he were to win it this next year, he'd put two pretty good things on the resume. And then he wouldn't be winning by a nose. You know, if we're going to go uh, horse racing here, you know, then he'd be pulling away, and it wouldn't it wouldn't be a close one. And yeah, you already got Athlon, who I don't I don't know who did the list at Athlon. You know, I don't know if they have any ties to Utah or emotionally, you know, fired up about it. Um, I, I would say another guy. You know, how much does Shaw have to win to rehab the the image and the reputation as the elite coach in the conference? Because they are now uh, what. 22 and 17 the last three years uh, with one division title. Yeah. So there's nothing really elite about that. Um, 16 and 11 in conference over the last three years. But if they won, yeah, weren't they four and eight last year? Yeah, four and eight and three and six. Yikes! You know. Yeah. So I mean, that stinks. It, and they've, for whatever reason, they've had a, just a, a, an unusual amount of injuries. Yeah. And we'll see. But yeah, he's. I don't want to say Shaw's at a crossroads. Uh, but he's got to get it back. And I do think if you're winning 10 games a year at Stanford, you're elite. <laughs> right. Maybe, and you, don't, yeah. you may not even win the division, and if obviously you don't win the division, you're not winning the conference. But if you win 10 games a year, if you have a four-year stretch and you've won 40 games at Stanford, you're elite. Because Shaw is sitting on the, and this is partly because of so much turnover in the league, but he's sitting on the most conference titles of all the coaches in the league. He's got three of them, and he's got five double-digit win seasons. So if he gets back to that, even though the yes. 2017-18-19 stretch doesn't look so good, ah, the 9-5 and five and 9-4, and four, you can explain away, and 4-8, and eight, you know, everybody got hurt, but I'm back, baby. That would be a pretty good pitch. I think the other guy who's pretty far down the list – but he's not that new anymore, and if he had a really big year, you got to start moving. I didn't see the whole Athlon list. I don't know where they have him right now, but he ought to at least be in the middle of the league by now. Justin Wilcox, and this is kind of a – he doesn't have as many years as Kyle on the G. He's been there three years, but it's you know five wins to seven wins to eight wins. And if he had a double-digit win season and a conference title at a school that doesn't win conference titles – I mean, Cal doesn't. They haven't been to the Rose Bowl since 59. Uh, Wilcock could, could jump up there. Now, that's a big ass. This is a guy who hasn't had a winning record in the league yet. So, you know, I don't want to get in front of myself here. But you see how it's trending. Uh, if he put a big year or two out there, he could, he could jump up the list really fast. Yeah, if I'm Cal, I don't know that I want that. Because if he then does he's gone. That, then he's out. <laughs> then he's gone. <laughs> The bigger fish comes in. It would be the Colorado-Michigan State story all over, right? Who would do it? I don't know, but somebody would. I didn't see that happening with Michigan State stealing Colorado's coach, but it happened. No, I guess you'd you'd have to hope for Wilcox that he is a Western guy, you know, coached in Seattle, uh, played at Oregon, 
so his ties are on our side of the country. But yeah, I think he's done a very good job. He's made progress, and I mean, I think that's what you ask for in a coach is to make progress. Now it gets to a point where you've made progress, you made progress. Now trying to make some more progress after you've made a significant amount—that's really hard. You know, Herm Edwards has to do that too. He's made some progress. All right. Well, now in the next couple of years, you know, going seven and five—that's nice. But that's not why you were brought in. So what can I think those two guys are in the same boat there. They've made decent progress. Now can they step it up even more? Because that's where it gets difficult. And that's what we saw Kyle do after rebounding from the five and sevens and giving him time to get the Pac-12 talent in, which he obviously did. You just look at the number of kids who are being drafted. It's right there with anybody in the conference, and that's just awesome. And he made that progress to win the division, which seemed elusive at the time. Now he's done it twice, and the curse of that is now, come on, buddy, you got to win that game in December. You know, probably not going to do it this year, but I think they're right back in the hunt the following year, although I think they can be competitive. I think I think people are sleeping on Utah a little bit this year, honestly, and depending on if they get, if they get very good quarterback play, then I certainly think they can be in the mix to win again the South anyway. You know, we'll I have to see how the North plays out. But I'm just talking about the, you got to you got to win the South first. And so if they got if they got pretty good quarterback play, I think they can be in the mix, even though they're replacing so many folks on defense. Because I just don't think outside of SC that I can count on the other four teams to really be significant contenders and legitimate contenders. Now, maybe one or two of them will be, but right now, and that would be UC Los Angeles and the Devils as far as if I'm going to pick two teams that possibly could be strong contenders, it would be them. And then Utah and SC, I would expect to be battling first and second but i would still look at those other two programs as possibly moving up and maybe the huge drop down to third or fourth that remains to be seen that's what hopefully will be played out on the field well i think that there is definitely consensus that there's three groups of two in the pac-12 i earlier this year it was I don't know, three or four months ago. Uh, you know, I was talking about how I'd seen Utah and ASU two and three, and you jumped me. You're like, how many Utah threes have you seen? I've seen a lot of ASU threes, not that many Utah twos. And at the time, I'd seen a couple of them, but I've been watching since then, and I haven't seen one more. You know, people updated after spring football the put out lists. And since you said that, I've been watching, I really haven't picked any more. I haven't seen any more. I mean, Utah is pretty consistently two, they've really not picked one very often either. Uh, but I think that SC and Utah right, at the top, right, right and right, then right. everybody's got ASU and UCLA in some order. Nobody's expecting yes. anything out of Arizona and Colorado. They're always five six. So now right. that doesn't necessarily say how anything's going to play out. And often you end up with teams sitting. You know, there's always ties. Teams at four and five and five and four. So it doesn't break out a clean one through six when it's all said and done. Usually, anyway. All right. DJ. No, and I yeah. think one of those teams can move up, and maybe one of those other teams can move down yeah. the top four, as and, you say. And injuries will sort some of that out, and we can't see that right now. We don't know where they're going to hit. You know, which team's going to have to play three quarterbacks and struggle to overcome it? Uh, SC had to do it last year, and actually had a pretty good season, and that's why Helton's back. 
You know, they, yes, they still went seven and two in conference, and they had to play three quarterbacks, and that is usually a big problem, even for even for really good, mm-hmm. you know, programs. All right, DJ and PK, it's ninety seven sure. five at twelve eighty the zone. What were you watching last night? We will get to that coming up. If you love the college football, we've got more later in the show. Ross Dellinger, national college football writer for Sports Illustrated, at nine thirty. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. David Locke, do you think that there's going to be an asterisk or an emphasis placed on this championship? You know, if the Lakers win and you hate the Lakers, you'll put an asterisk next to it, right? Like, the world changed. It's a different model. It's going to be a different structure. The best way to define it is you will be the champion of the 2019-2020 season. Like, this is what the 2019-2020 season is, and this is who the champion is. And that's the same way, like, I think the Spurs asterisk is stupid. It was a 66-game schedule. That's what the season was. They were the champion. There's no other way to find a champion. I mean, it'll be a really strange moment to win a title in front of nobody. And in some ways, you know, maybe this is harder. Like, you've got to live without your family. You've got to build a new routine. You've got to motivate yourself without crowds. Like, maybe this is going to be much more difficult. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. With a little extra time on your hands, it's time to talk about what we're doing to kill time. What did you watch last night with DJ and PK on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network? Too much time on my hands. Too much time on my of my viewing last night, PK, was uh, watching a Jordan Spieth interview with the PGA Tour returning uh, to action tomorrow. The Colonial gets underway. I'm going to have Brian Taylor here at 8.30 to talk about that. And I saw Jordan Spieth being interviewed. And of course, all the interviews are done now. Uh, you know, they Skype the interview or whatever, right, from the home. And so he's sitting at home in his office or whatever. And and it starts out, it's pretty normal. You know, over his shoulder, there's some trophies and stuff on the shelf and all that so he's talking and it's kind of unusual he's talking about the travel bubble they're all in and he isn't in that week one because he lives so close uh as a texas guy that he can just say yeah i get to play from home it's it's really unusual and then and so he's talking about whatever and then and you would love this and then his dog barked, and they kept going like nothing happened. And they cut back to him, and clearly the dog is under the desk, and he's reaching down and petting the dog, trying to keep him quiet. That's stuff you would have never seen six months ago, and now, yeah, absolutely. The dog barked, let it go. What's the big deal? I just say, yeah, what is the big deal, right? I mean, <laughs> so you got a dog. Yeah, I know. Like, we have that sometimes when we do interviews, you'll hear them, you'll hear a dog barking in the background. Yeah. Okay, fine, so be it. They have a dog, a dog, and the dog barks. That just means you're a normal guy. <laughs> <laughs> but it was funny because yeah. he was trying to, like, he's reaching down on one shoulder and he's trying to be coy about it. I'm like, yeah, the dog barked and you're petting the dog. <laughs> but they didn't reference it. They didn't talk about it. They just kept going. That was funny. Uh, well, I, I also watched. As long the, as it's not interrupting what you're doing. No, it was just it was one bark. I mean, it wasn't a repetitive thing or whatever. It was even like, did I hear that? And like, yeah, I heard that. And they had cover video up at that point of you know him golfing or whatever. And then they cut back to him, and he was clearly petting the dog. Uh, I also watched for a while. It was kind of fascinating, but I also felt like I was wasting my time. So I went on and channel surfed some more. <laughs> but I saw this show. Uh, 
I can't remember if it was History Channel or Smithsonian. It was something like that. And so there's rumors that in World War II, a Japanese general took a big stash of gold and hid it in the Philippines. And so there's like, I don't know, 10 or 12 guys, and they're out drilling on this mountain in the Philippines in the jungle in like three different places in there. This one whole segment is like, we might be getting close. There could be something down here. And they're coming up with like, it was like an old dumping ground, you know. Hey, look, there's a piece of rope. Look, this is the head of a pick. And the handle has just kind of, uh, you know, eroded and melted away over time. We're getting close to something. Eh, maybe they were. Maybe they weren't. I moved on. I wasn't going to watch guys dig up rope forever. <laughs> I couldn't believe it was, it was a TV show. What are we doing here? <laughs> All right, what'd you well, watch? with a million channels. I mean, yeah, that's right. What we're doing, yeah, that's huh? what we're doing. You're right. What were you watching? Uh, not a whole lot last night. It was, no, it was such a beautiful evening after after we had had three nights of not beautiful evening. And it's just sort of sat outside, flicked around a little bit, but nothing that really caught my attention to stay on to where I want it to be locked down. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the golf, though. Get something that's real, that's competitive. I, I don't, I mean, I play golf myself, and that's about the extent of my competitive uh, juices, and it's more competing against myself, not competing against anybody that I play with. Because heaven knows, when I played Yacht the other day, there's no way that I'm beating him, not with his advanced oh, game. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I did shoot my best nine of the year yesterday, PK, in my men's league. What'd you shoot? What was it? 39. Nice. So oh, yeah, that'll work. Breaking down into the 30s. Like it. Yeah. All right, DJ. Making progress. <laughs> DJ and PK, Brian Taylor, Real Golf Radio is coming up at 8.30. Stay with us.